0: Imagine, if you will, a podcast. A podcast journeying beyond that which is known to man. It exists in both fandom and discovery, in viewing and critiquing. My name is Matt Hurt. Welcome to Anthology. Welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Um, if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. Uh, you can find more of Anthology at anthologypod.com, and if you want to contact me, you can tweet me at obsessiveviewer, send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. You can also follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd, where my username is obsessiveviewer. Finally, if you like what you hear, head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. It'll help the show out a ton. Now, ordinarily, I have a whole spiel describing the structure of the podcast here, but I kind of need to address the elephant in the room. Um, At the time of this recording, it's uh, just about April 30th, 2016, Um, and this is the first episode of Anthology since September 14th, 2015. (laughs) Um... So I kind of want to kick off this episode with an apology, first and foremost. Uh, When I started the podcast, I thought it would be easier than than it was to record and produce it alongside the obsessive viewer. Um, But I fell behind after a handful of episodes, and then real-life problems started creeping up uh but to to be honest that's not an excuse uh by any stretch the truth of the matter is i was juggling two podcasts and it was easier to drop the ball on my solo podca- podcast than it was uh on the podcast where i have co-hosts to help keep me accountable uh so uh and and also i just wasn't in the right place to really tackle a solo podcast i didn't really realize it until uh recently so so for my profound screw-ups, prolonged silence, and uh, poor time management skills, I sincerely apologize. And if you're listening to this episode because you stayed subscribed to the feed over the last seven and a half months, I am incredibly grateful and will do everything I can to stay consistent from here on out. Um, and I really appreciate that you would stay subscribed to it, um, even though it's a dead feed for the most part for most most of a year. (laughs) So I'm incredibly grateful for that. So thank you for listening. Um, And if you're a new listener, uh, then this is actually a great time to jump into the podcast uh, because I'm restructuring things slightly and I'm kind of starting fresh because I really want to get this podcast off the ground and, and do accomplish what I set out to do when I started it. Um, Which is to say, I'm still going to be reviewing every episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, That's still the priority, everything, all that. However, now each episode of Anthology will be devoted to one episode of The Twilight Zone. As opposed to uh, me reviewing two episodes of The Twilight Zone per episode um, before the um, impromptu hiatus. Uh, That was just a little too much work on my part, and that's how I got... uh, dragged behind a lot. Um, next up is I'm also going to be putting more emphasis on my personal reactions, interpretations, and criticisms, um, and just my reviews of each episode. Um, in the past I found myself getting too over overwhelmed by all the stuff I had to compile for each episode. Um, so much so that it actually felt like my reviews of the show was, were kind of an afterthought. Um, but rest assured i'll i'll still be including trivia um for each episode and uh things like that but this podcast is going to focus primarily on my feelings of the episodes themselves as a first time viewer of the show from here on out because that's what i intended um at the beginning um and i kind of i want to honor that kind of thesis statement in addition to the twilight zone episode reviews i'm going to occasionally review something tangentially related to the episode Um, This can be a movie or TV episode written, directed, or starring someone from the Twilight Zone episode um, that this podcast will cover on any given um, week. Or it can be something that was inspired by the episode or adapted from the same source material. It's all kind of up in the air, and it just – it's a – it's an idea that I have to get a little more content each week in each episode. Um, but these these bonus reviews will likely be short and sweet and tacked on to the end of the episodes as a bonus. Um, thinking long term, I think after I finish season one of The Twilight Zone or depending on whenever they do um, announce Black Mirror season three, I might add each episode of Black Mirror to the podcast or I could take a hiatus from The Twilight Zone and cover Black Mirror uh, for a few months, um, after I finished season one of the twilight zone, I don't know, it's up in the air. If you have any thoughts on that, email me and let me know, um, what you would like to hear. So having said that today on anthology, I will be reviewing season one, episode 11 of the twilight zone, uh, titled and when the sky was opened, which aired on December 11th, uh, 1959. Um, After the review, I'll wrap up the episode with my brief thoughts on 1957's sci-fi film, The Incredible Shrinking Man, which was written by Richard Matheson, whose short story Disappearing Act was the basis for this episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, But first, actually, there was uh, a bit of news about The Twilight Zone recently that I want to go over here before I get into my review and everything. So back, uh, I think it was... April 18th, The rap reported that there's an interactive The Twilight Zone series on the way, and uh, Bioshock creator Ken Levine is set to write and direct the pilot. So I'll read a little bit here and there from the article. Um, this article is actually from SlashFilm that I'm reading from. Interlude, an interactive media company, has signed a deal with CBS to produce a series that will allow viewers to interact with the show as they watch it uh specific details remain under wraps but they toss around phrases about audiences being able to quote step in and become a part of the story and quote change and adapt the story based on what he or she feels um according to this article uh ken levine is best known for creating writing and acting as creative director on bioshock and bioshock infinite of course um massively popular games and, and very story driven themselves. Um, there's really not much detail about what this new twilight zone will be. Um, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some speculation and everything, but I guess the bottom line is that, uh, that they want an interactive experience with, with the show. Um, there's some more quotes here and there. I'm searching for them now. Uh, Quote, as with all interlude videos, viewers can return repeatedly and have a different viewing experience each time. And so that's, I don't know, if this gets off the ground, um, I have some reservations about it Um, for context, as as I'm recording this, um, I don't remember when this was like, last year maybe sometime last year uh, CBS announced that there's going to be a new Star Trek series on their CBS All Access um app uh with, for for a monthly i think a monthly payment of like $5 you get access to CBS's content on their app and that's where that's where uh the new Brian Fuller run Star Trek series is going to be is is going to live exclusively so i'm kind of wondering if the if the idea behind rebooting the Twilight Zone and creating an interactive experience, I mean, that's that's ripe for an app experience and everything. Um, and I mean, even you could play devil's advocate and say that by making it like this, making it in this way, that they could be taking uh, this whole CBS all-access thing extraordinarily seriously and they could they could be prepping the twilight zone to launch around the time star Trek launches to kind of really get people driving in. And I can respect that and everything, but I, I just, I have some qualms about the interactive experience idea. Um, and granted like this is my sixth episode of anthology and my 11th episode of the twilight zone that I'm going to be reviewing. And like the whole conceit of this podcast is that it's my reviews of it's, is that it's, it's my reviews of the show as a first time viewer so i'm 11 episodes into this groundbreaking iconic series so i can't i mean i can't pretend that i'm a i'm uh, i'm a a massive fan of the show although i respect the crap out of it um but my problem on the surface from this announcement and everything is that the legacy of the twilight zone was that it was a, it was a platform for some of the best science fiction writers and just all around brilliant storytelling. And if the show is being created as an, as an interactive thing, I don't see how it would continue that legacy. And this can kind of get more into the debate of, uh, of video games versus movies or video game versus movies as art and, and all that stuff, the stuff Roger Ebert was talking about. And now that I am saying that out loud, it kind of seems a little arrogant of me to discount this as, as from the interactive thing. But all I keep coming back to is just I fear that that this iteration of the Twilight Zone will, won't be as conducive to the brilliant storytelling and the the great. It, it won't be a great platform for for spectacular science fiction writers and, and writers of our time as the original series was because they'll have to be writing around the interactive nature of the show. Um, just imagine watching time enough at last and having the narrative interrupted by, by having to make the audience choose whether or not Henry Bemis goes to the library first or, or walks around somewhere else. I, I, I don't know. And, and I don't see how, as another example, I don't see how walking distance would have, I don't see how walking distance wouldn't lose it's emotional pull if the viewer is able to, as it's quoted in the article, step in and be a part of the story. Um, when I watch Walking Distance, I don't want to be, I don't want to be Ron Howard in that episode. I want to watch, I want to watch, I want to watch the story unfold. Um, and, and it does. That's why it's, that's why it's one of the best episodes of the series so far and one of the most re- respected episodes of the series is because of that emotional pull and, and, Everything I, I don't, I don't know. I I mean, I'll reserve judgment and I'm sure that anyone listening here knows the twilight zone a lot better than I do as of right now, since I'm just now starting out into this whole thing. Um, and so, you know, let me know what you think of it because I'm not too crazy about it right now. Um, but we'll see if and when it happens. I don't see how it could not be a gimmick um but I'll be super happy if uh if I'm proven wrong and it actually does uh come up but I mean, if there is a Twilight Zone <laughs> maybe that's my underlying thing is that if there's a Twilight Zone and a Star Trek series both on the c b s all access app i'm gonna be I'm gonna begrudgingly pay the five or six dollars to to get this content um and maybe. That's what's got me uh, more skeptical than anything. <laughs> um, so let me know what you think of the new Twilight Zone uh, pitch or or news item from a couple of weeks ago. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into my review of and when the sky was opened. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start out with an episode summary that there are going to be spoilers in this entire summary and the rest of this episode. So be warned. Three astronauts flying the X-20 into space for the first time disappear from radar on a test flight, then reappear. However, all is not as it seems upon their return to Earth. After they crash land, Major Gart is sent to the hospital with a broken leg. The other two, Lieutenant Colonel Forbes and Colonel Harrington, are quickly discharged from the hospital with no problems. During the evening, the two go to a bar. There, Harrington suddenly gets a strange feeling as if he no longer belongs in the world. He phones his parents, but they tell him they have no son. Then Harrington mysteriously disappears from the phone booth, and no one but Forbes remembers his existence. The headline in the newspaper first says three spacemen, then two spacemen. Uh, Forbes tells his story to Gart, who says he does not know any person named Harrington. Then Forbes looks in the mirror, but there is no reflection of him looking back. Forbes snaps and runs out of the room. By the time Gart gets up to run after him, Forbes has mysteriously disappeared, too, and nobody remembers him. After getting back into bed, he notices the newspaper says, Lone Spaceman, and falls back in horror. Then he, too, disappears. The aircraft has vanished as well, wiping all evidence of the program off the face of the Earth. Okay, so this episode stars Rod Taylor as Lieutenant Colonel Clegg Forbes. This is his only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, it also stars Jim Hutton as Major William Gart, also his only episode of the Twilight Zone. Um, and then rounding out the three spaceman spacemen <laughs> are uh, is uh, Charles Aidman, who plays Colonel Ed Harrington. This is his first of two Twilight Zone episodes. We'll see him again in the episode "Little Girl Lost" in season three. Uh, writer for this episode was Rod Serling. Of course, it was based on a short story by Richard Matheson. As I said before, the story was called disappearing act and it was first published in March, 1953, but in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction director for this episode, uh, is Douglas Hayes. This is his first of nine, uh, twilight zone episodes in total. And his next one will be elegy toward the end of season one. So given my propensity for uh, impromptu hiatuses, expect that episode review of Anthology in about 2019. That's a joke. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, so my first thought, I'm just going to dive into my review here. Um, my first thought is that the introduction of the plot kind of reminded me just slightly of Planet of the Apes, which certainly, of course, worked on and i believe if i'm not mistaken I'm, i believe that rod taylor was was one of was considered for the role of uh the the role that um charlton heston ended up taking in planet of the apes but i just i mean you know it's spacemen spacemen on a long journey i don't know why i keep wanting to say spaceman but anyway uh it's it's about spacemen that are on a flight and they return to a a, a place that's Slightly different for them. I mean, that's a stretch of a that's a stretch of uh, the plot similarities, but it still kind of has some tangential similarities there. They both involve spacemen, and it's science fiction. The immediacy of the plot is incredibly effective. What I really like about it is how we're introduced to the pilots after one of them has already disappeared. So Forbes confronts Gart, who's in the hospital, and right from the start, you get the sense that he's paranoid. He's 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 freaked out. And, and you get the sense that something is amiss here and you don't really quite know what it is until he explains it to you. And I just thought that was a really good intro introduction and a really good hook, um, into the episode. And it's kind of funny cause this episode, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this, uh, in a, in a bit, but it shares some thematic similarities from my perspective to perchance to dream. And one of which is that this episode has a, a very long extended flashback sequence, um, but I'll get more into the similarities, uh, here in a bit, but, uh, the concept of the episode, the concept of it's itself is, I mean, ripe for this television series. Really, uh, what the, what the twilight zone is so effective at is, is playing with characters, perceptions of things. Um, like the idea that no one believes you and that, that your own memory can't be trusted is, I mean, it is one of the most terrifying thoughts or terrifying things that that can happen. I mean, I, just something about it just gets so under my skin and so it's so effective at just terrifying me that I mean, it's all it, it's all encompassed in in Ed Harrington's scene in the uh in the bar when he calls his parents. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking and just when he says when he tells um when he tells Forbes that that they said that he didn't have, they didn't have a son. Like just there's a little bit of pain. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit on there, but it, it there's a little bit of pain there. That's, I mean, it's just such a terrifying thought. Um, just imagining that everyone, you know, doesn't remember you or has no experience of you as you, you're feeling this bizarre, strange um, feeling like you don't belong in this world. Um, it just, that just adds to the terror um and think somewhat somewhat of the um the feeling of like uh of Harrington being pulled out of the world. That that's the only way I can use it to describe it. Like that that kind of reminded me of like things like like time travel movies, like in particular it reminded me of Looper where um where where the characters are suddenly affected in the present day by something that happens in the past. Again, that's, that's kind of a loose um, thing, but that's just, that's, that was what my brain connected with, uh, in that sequence, at least, um, Charles Aidman's performance though, in the bar scene, um, as Harrington is, is just super eerie. Um, that's the bottom line there. It's, it's really effective. And the way that he plays off of Rod Taylor in that scene is just, just great. The, the two work really incredibly well together. And it's just, it's just a really great sequence and, and terrifying. And, and to bring it back to the comparison to Perchance to Dream, I mean, this episode kind of seems like an escalation of the paranoia and fear themes from Charles Beaumont's episode, uh, Perchance to Dream. And I didn't, I didn't much care for Perchance to Dream. And I, I don't know, the way that the themes are handled in this episode are, it was a lot more effective for me. There's some interesting storytelling techniques and, and camera techniques here that, uh, that, I don't know like like there was okay so so there's a dissolve to the flashback um after uh, Forbes meets meets Gart at the at the hospital and it's just it's kind of a the wavy the wavy transition to to a flashback of of Forbes and Harrington leaving the hospital room it's I don't know it's in a show that has thus far Done really well to show like to use like mirrors and reflections to to um, incorporate like like time travel effects and, and and time lapsing effects. This was this just felt a little lazy to me. I didn't really care for the dissolve to the flashback, but I mean that's a small nitpick. But the actual the actual method of storytelling there is is sound. I I like that the episode that the that the story shows Forbes confronting Gart about. Harrington, and then uh, like the way that it just goes into the flashback, it it build it helps build the mystery well, and you don't really expect what you don't know what to expect when it comes to uh, Harrington's disappearance, and and that really builds the tension very well. And then later, after Harrington it, it disappears, and and uh, Forbes is just freaking out for lack of a better word. There's a scene where where Forbes uh, shows his wife a telegram, and at this point Forbes is so exasperated and 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 terrified and and just losing his mind. Uh, when he shows the telegram and shows that it's it's changed as well, it's just it's it's kind of like a, a wrecking ball in in the entire episode or in, in the story. And Rod Taylor plays this just so well; um, he really really sells the fear and paranoia. That uh, Forbes is going through just just perfectly, and he's he's really fantastic throughout the entire episode to to be honest. And I, he kind of goes into some maniacal or or, or um some hy- uh, hysteria, like when he thinks that it's a practical joke and things like that. I, it's just he has a he has a wide range of it. Like there's like there's a little scene where um, earlier in the, in the bar after Harrington has disappeared, he's kind of like, he has this kind of incredulous look on his face or when he tells the bartender that he, uh, asked where his friend went and, and, uh, the bartender doesn't know. And it's just this, it's after he's seen the newspaper headline. And when I saw that, I kind of thought it was kind of strange that they would show like i I thought that it would be it would maybe be more effective if they had shown the newspaper headline that the newspaper headline had changed from three spacemen to two spacemen it would I thought for a second that it would have been more effective if it was after the bartender said that he was the only one that came in. but what I like about it is that they showed it before, so Forbes has this in his brain like oh this something is wrong. Harrington's gone, and this newspaper's wrong, and so he kind of has this kind of like are you screwing with me kind of, kind of tone. And it's just, I think it built the characters. Uh, it, it helped build or it helped uh, influence the character's progression throughout the episode of his, from just paranoia, fear, to hysteria and to his eventual disappearance and everything. When he goes back to the bar though, I, I thought that the crashing through the glass to get into the bar was extreme. I mean, it was well-written, but I think it was executed somewhat poorly. I think in the trivia, I actually think that it was a kind of last minute decision, if I'm not mistaken, which I mean, you know, I mean, it was good for what it was. I like the idea of, of them, of him crashing through the window. Again, it helps build up his, uh, his descent into madness basically, but I don't know something about it was just, it was just a quick cut and, uh, and it was just, I don't know, a means to get them in there as an, an email or months and months and months ago pointed out that, um, there's a lot of window breaking, window jumping in the twilight zone. So I, I'm kind of, uh, attuned to, to notice that stuff now after, after reading that email. Um, I can't remember who sent that email in, but if you're listening, thank you for listening again. And, uh, thank you for the email. Finally, Forbes in the mirror. It's an impressive shot. I like his disappearance for for the most part. It's it's kinda I don't know, I wouldn't say that it felt rushed, but it just felt a little sudden, which I guess is synonymous with rushed, so I don't know what I'm trying to say. But it just felt like all the build up and then and then both of them are gone. It it just felt like there wasn't a connection there, um, which I'll get into in, in trivia about that, um, uh, which actually it, it kind of uh retroactively made me interested in it i I kind of found myself doing a uh a bit of a thought experiment during this episode, and uh the last scene kind of nixes this thought experiment but uh just for sake of argument i'm I like wondering like how many were actually in the plane or if or if we can expand it to include the closing narration and everything how many times has the in the in this universe and this story in this world how many times has the government sanction this mission and how many astronauts have, have been lost throughout it um, in the same way. So I kind of like thinking that we get into the episode after uh, or when, um, when Forbes has lost Harrington and is trying to get Gart to remember him. I kind of like thinking like, what if this goes back farther and there was actually like five astronauts on the ship or or six or something like that and this has been going on for uh much longer than than what we see. But then again that would also mean that uh Forbes would have to w- would have remembered the other ones since he remembered Harrington so well or maybe not, I'm not sure. But anyway, it's an interesting thought experiment and it kind of leads me to my overall thoughts really I like the episode overall. The ambiguity was a little unsatisfactory, kind of similar to "Perchance to Dream," actually. But I just I was really involved in the uh, in in the episode's frantic depiction of fear and paranoia, and I thought that Rod Taylor just was fantastic, and his scenes with both uh, Jim Hutton and Charles Aidman, like their chemistry was was fantastic, and they really played the hysteria and mania, or at least Rod Taylor did. And, impeccably, I kind of want to talk briefly about the the timeliness of this of this uh, episode or the cultural impact or cultural significance um, I, what immediate, what immediately jumps to mind is that this is another scary space travel story um, and it's really soon after where is everybody the the series' first episode and i I can I can respect that and I, I enjoy it quite a bit because the show seems to be intentionally creating fear out of the unknown and in most notably in space travel. Cause this is, you know, right, um, right, right in the midst of the, uh, cold war era and the space race and all that. So this is all stuff that's in, I assume I, I wasn't alive then, but, um, in the cultural consciousness of like, okay, we're, we're sending people to the sending people into space. And, and we're, we're talking about sending people to the moon. And what, what exactly does that mean for humanity and for human, the human psyche to go out where there is no, where, where no, forgive me, where no man has gone before. Um, and I kind of wonder, could it be, could it be considered kind of a cheap scare or a cheap shot? um, like like creating fiction around worst case scenarios, like I'm thinking more along the lines of the, a contemporary um, a contemporary comparison to that. And and forgive me for this would be season two of 24, uh, bringing in a nuclear bomb thing. When like this is the season two of 24 aired a couple uh, a year after 9 um, 11 when we're we're at war and we're you know everyone's afraid of the next big um the next big attack and and big scale thing so uh, 24 kind of built built its uh its narrative around um the fear of the populace and and the worst case scenario um and I mean it was very successful for that and I I hate to draw that comparison but um with with the twilight zone it's it's interesting to see these kinds of uh the this scary space travel story um repeated so early but then again they also had a lot more in twilight zone at least with with where is everybody it was it was more it had more meaning behind it it had more subtlety it had more subtext to it um more subtext even than than this episode because it kind of had this underlying message of isolation and and what The government was preparing to put people through potentially, um, and, and what could that, what that could mean for the American psyche or for for the, for, for humanity's psyche basically. Um, but yeah, uh, as for me, like I said, I I liked this episode overall. I, I really liked the energy and the, and the performances and everything, um, as for to close out, kind of my review p- portion of this, uh, I, I kind of want to talk about what I think might have happened, um, and that's kind of one of the good things about it having an Im- uh, ending on a note of such Im- ambiguity because we're not giving much information. We're just told that there's a 31 hour flight in outer space um, that the that the men in the ship were r- lost contact with with everyone. They disappeared for 24 hours before crash landing in the Mojave Desert. And it's left ambiguous on purpose, but it left – it opens up the possibility for so many different theories and so much so that it's, that it's actually hard to pick one. Um, personally, for me, I've I've seen this episode at this point like four or five times because I kept rewatching it in, during my hiatus and preparing notes and everything. But I like to think that they slipped through a portal into a different dimension, and this might be a little hard to fit into the narrative, but I like to think that they crash-landed in the Mojave – in this alternate universe and that the universe as, as its own entity knew that they didn't belong there. And uh, seeing as they came from our universe and just started erasing them. Um, I kind of like thinking, thinking in terms of that. And if you, if you're more on the cynical side uh, you can think of it as a, as a government test and and how the government wants to keep everything under wraps and everything and is somehow, with some supernatural or, or really, really sci-fi heavy uh, power erasing them from existence. I mean that that works too, but I kind of like this parallel universe or this weird wormhole portal idea of mine. That's that's kind of what I kept coming back to upon reviewing. So, um, I'm going to get into a little bit of trivia for this episode and also let me know what you thought of this episode and everything. So trivia for this episode regarding the relatively quick disappearance, disappearance of Gart at the end of the episode, Rod Serling actually explained in a lecture that without his fellow astronauts to anchor him to this world, he had no way of holding on. It furthered the idea that Forbes's denial kept him in the world longer and, having heard the story of Harrington's disappearance and seeing Forbes taken out, Gart had just no way of denying the possibility so i mean that works that that works for me there's also a bit of trivia about Gloria Powell, who plays the woman that Rod Taylor picks up at the bar. She spoke about her experiences filming the episode, and uh here's a here's a quote. Uh, Rod Serling was on the set for two days I I was working he was very nice and came over and said hello my part was originally different it was written with me and two other girls sitting at a table Rod and the director changed it and moved me up to the bar I loved working with Rod Taylor he was a very nice person one of the best in the biz at the time as one of uh, Hollywood's rising stars so that's cool. Trivia on the on the actual title of the episode is it's a parody of a line from the children's nursery rhyme, Sing a Song of Sixpence, um, which which goes, When the pie was opened, the birds began to sing. Wasn't that a dainty dish to set before the king? So that's my review of when the sky was opened in the first, ep- first episode of this relaunched anthology podcast, which I've been putting off for a while and haven't had... Um, time to, you know, I just haven't, I, you know, I haven't been to, uh, I haven't been able to get back into it, but I'm getting back into it and I'm, I'm focused and I'm prepared to get this off the ground and running. And once again, I apologize for the long hiatus and, uh, I hope you guys forgive me. Also in, in, during this hiatus, I was really hoping that I would get the, uh, Blu-ray collection of the Twilight Zone, the complete Blu-ray collection, with all the special features and with like lectures and commentary and stuff like that, um, unfortunately, when I actually had the money in place, I was actually about to pay for it or I was about to go to Amazon and buy it. The price like doubled, so I I couldn't get it. But so that's unfortunate. Maybe someday, but I'll be keeping an eye on it. So as I said, I'm going to close out this episode with uh, my brief thoughts on the Incredible Shrinking Man. Uh, but first, here's a highlight from episode 158 of the obsessive viewer it's a weekly movie and tv podcast i host with my friends mike and tiny over at obsessiveviewer.com okay that's fine do you (laughs) is this that uh the the pilot notwithstanding right Mm -hmm. you're talking about everything after the pilot the entire season okay because the pilot is is completely deserving of every ounce of vitriol it has received. It's honestly one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I'm I, Matt. I hold your opinion as one of the highest of anybody I know, uh, and that counts for like internet reviews. I, I look to you and your opinion sometimes before I think about the Entertainment Weekly or or whatever. Nice. Um, nice. And I am flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted <laughs> that someone with standards as high as yours is not completely offended by that <laughs> show of a first episode of Fuller House. I can't believe it. I, I mean, you can find the Obsessive Viewer on iTunes, Stitcher, and at obsessiveviewer.com, and find this that particular episode that the clip came from at obsessiveviewer.com/ov158. Okay, so to close out this episode of Anthology, I have a bonus review of a movie tangentially related to uh, The Twilight Zone and the main topic. Let me know what you think of me doing these things. I think that the more I think about it, I think that it will be more of a a side exploration of the writers of The Twilight Zone. So for this week, I have The Incredible Shrinking Man, a 1957 sci-fi classic written by Richard Matheson, adapted from his novel... Titled *The Shrinking Man*, and directed by Jack Arnold, who is no stranger to science fiction. Uh, he directed *It Came from Outer Space*, *Creature from the Black Lagoon*, a lot, a lot of classics. And he also, to kind of tie it back to the anthology format, he directed four episodes of *Science Fiction Theater*. So, The Incredible Shrinking Man is a pretty straightforward concept, and the plot description on IMDb is, when Scott Carey begins to shrink because of exposure to a combination of radiation and insecticide, medical sci- science is powerless to help him. And I've got to say, I was actually kind of blown away by this movie. It's, I mean, it's from 1957. The The visual effects, the the actual filmmaking is incredibly impressive, and the premise for the movie itself, the... The actual plot and everything is just ripe for the visual medium, and it made me wonder how good the book is. And it made me realize I don't think I've ever read anything of Richard, Richard Matheson's, and I'm gonna have to really step up my game and do that because this this premise and this the way that it was handled in the film was really really intriguing to me, and I I like that throughout the movie it, it's it's got an incredibly an incredibly tight structure. Um, you begin with him first experiencing the shrinking and then going to the doctor and trying to figure out what's going on. Then they go public and then it reaches a point where it's it's pretty pretty clearly divided between the portion of the movie, the portion of the story, where where the main character and his wife are trying to figure out the solution to the problem. And then an event happens, and I think it was about midway through the movie, where Something happens that drastically changes the main character's plight. At that moment, Scott Carey becomes a survivalist. He is pretty much, he finds himself in a new world. Um,. It's the basement, <laughs> and I just – I I loved it because by dividing it up between these two kind of segments of the movie, it made the pacing spectacular, and there's some really intense moments that um, the filmmaking techniques that were established in the beginning showing him – Showing him very small in, in a in a set and having it having it uh, like having large furniture around him to to have the effect and everything. There's a sequence where he's living in a dollhouse, and all of this builds up to a series of terrifying moments where there's like a a cat that attacks the dollhouse um there's the horror of Scott being trapped in a box after falling a great a great uh distance and then there's it it just ratchets up the tension from there there's a really intense scene with the mouse with with a mouse trap where he's trying to scavenge for food and it's just really spectacularly done and by the end of it he's kind of faced with this ultimate threat and it's it's really fascinating to see how the character progresses throughout it because he becomes this resourceful brave person who's who's fighting for his survival and and he's he's up against this uh this spider monster as he puts it that's that's it frankly I'm I'm an arachnophobe so it was absolutely terrifying like genuinely terrifying and there are some really great sequences with with him and the spider that are just astounding. And to kind of close out my thoughts on it, the ending, it's, it's really pretty amazing. Uh, I wasn't expecting how it ended. It's, it's not like, a. hearing the premise, I kind of expected the entire movie to be his fight to reclaim his, his life and everything. But by about that halfway point, it kind of, kind of takes a back it doesn't even take a back seat, it's just kind of scrapped from from the movie. And it becomes this survival story about a man who's basically coming to terms with what he is and where he is and and be master of of his new world, basically. It's it's a really fascinating movie. And the ends the movie ends on a monologue of his and according to trivia, um that monologue was added by director Jack Arnold, so I don't think it was in the original novel, but it just ties the entire movie together in such a, such a spectacular way. And I really, really enjoyed it, um, quite a bit. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Um, I rented it on Google Play for like three bucks. It's also available on Amazon video for like three bucks. Um, definitely worth it. It's, I mean, it's a really, really great science fiction movie from 1957 with, uh, some of the special effects are a little, Obviously, they haven't aged well, but for the most part, like the actual filmmaking, the special effects, the 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 tricks used to give us that optical illusion of of him being much smaller than um, other people in the frame, were are just really kind of jaw dropping. To be quite honest, um, I, I really enjoyed it. All right, so that's gonna just about do it for us here at Anthology, which is just me. Um, <laughs> I I want to take a moment just to thank everyone for listening and um, like I said I apologize for the long delay I'll be back again and we'll I'll get back into the swing of things with this I also want to point or I also want to um, just thank you know some some people uh, for encouragement and everything uh, Brandon from another Twilight Zone podcast called uh, Submitted for Your Approval I've been emailing him. Uh, back and forth uh, the last couple of days. And he's super cool, super uh, supportive and everything. So I appreciate his uh, his help in building me back up to get me back to releasing content here. And also uh, Jeff Palermo from uh, Sci-Fi on Screen. He's been a huge inspiration to me because he has a freaking spectacular one-man podcast. And it's uh, <laughs> every time I listen to it, I think of anthology and how much I, I want to get back to it. And I've been listening to it for a while and I just really appreciate his, uh, his approach to his podcast and, and the one, the one man podcast format. Um, and that goes as well for, uh, the host of the Stephen King cast, which I've been listening to lately. So, um, so yeah, uh, anyway, that about does it. So next time on Anthology, I'm going to be reviewing What You Need. That's episode 12 of season 1 of The Twilight Zone, and I'm going to have a bonus review of that, hopefully of uh, an episode of Tales of Tomorrow, which I I said that I would be going through each show individually, but there's a special circumstance with, with this one, so um, stay tuned for that. Um, that should come up next week. And, uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it, and uh i hope to hear from you guys and feedback on this episode and what you thought of and when the sky was opened and also the incredible shrinking Man. what you thought of that um you can find me at all the usual places i have a pre-recorded outro i'm going to play after this so yeah it feels good feels good to be back guys so um yeah i'll see you guys next week Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find past episodes of the show at AnthologyPod.com. And please subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating and review. It helps the show out more than you might think. Of course, I crave feedback or conversation of any kind from the audience, so please email your thoughts and feelings about the show to Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com. Or you can tweet me at Obsessive Viewer and make sure you like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Of course, you can also leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out the Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Tiny and Mike. Also check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at ObsessiveViewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can find all of that at ObsessiveViewer.com. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to the Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash Obsessive And check out obsessivebookner.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.